This is The Space Shot, episode 368 for May 25th, 2018. Homesteading Space, The Skylab Story, and my conversation with David Hitt. I'm John Mulnix. A few days ago, I sat down for a digital conversation with author David Hitt to talk about one of the books he's co-authored. The Skylab program is one of the hidden gems of the space program, and my conversation with David talks a bit about his book, which covers this incredible part of NASA history. In the coming weeks, I'll have another long-form episode on the Skylab program to follow up with what we learned in today's episode. I've got a quick programming note. The latest episode of the Cosmosphere podcast will be out soon. This month has been a little bit crazy for scheduling, so we're releasing later than normal. There are some fantastic guests lined up in the next couple of episodes for the Cosmosphere podcast, so be sure to listen in this June and July. You're not going to want to miss those episodes. Now, before we get started, David has a quick caveat. I am speaking to you tonight as the author of Homesteading Space slash and or Bold They Rise. While I work as my day job as a contractor for ASRC Federal, supporting NASA's Marshall Space Flight Center, anything that I discuss tonight has nothing to do with my work either for ASRC or at Marshall Space Flight Center, and I'm representing only myself as the author of the aforementioned books. So my legal people are now happy with me. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. With that in mind, let's listen in to our conversation. Enjoy. Today I'm talking with David Hitt, a storyteller and a native of Huntsville, Alabama, who is steeped in the history of spaceflight from Skylab up until today with his day job at NASA, where he works in strategic communications, supporting the space launch system. David's also the co-author of two books, Homesteading Space, The Skylab Story, which he co-authored with astronauts Owen Garriott and Joe Kerwin, as well as Bold They Rise, which he wrote with Heather Smith. David, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. So our little chat here is taking place just a couple days before the launch anniversary of Skylab 2, which was the first crewed mission to the station itself. Before we go any further, can we talk a little bit about the numbering scheme of these missions? Because to the casual observer, it's weird even for a NASA program. For the informed observer, it's weird even for a NASA program. Uh, and, And what made it really fun was working on the book with Owen and Joe, even there, there was no formal understanding. I mean, even the two of them were be hard pressed to, oh, this is how it was and why. <laughs> it just kind of happened that way. We, uh, you know, we came down on the Skylab one, two, three for the manned mission side, and uh, you know, and, and so we've staked that out. This is this is now the right way. Um, <laughs> I was in my ask. mind. <laughs> in my mind, the the one two three four are the launches. The one two three are the missions. So SL two carried Skylab one to the Skylab station. All right, I, I like that explanation. Then that's what I got from reading your book. And what's funny is I, I've seen it shown in different ways on I, on a couple different NASA websites. I think it's shown it both ways. So I'm glad to have that little bit of clarification from you on that one, because I, I think your interpretation of it makes the most sense. Um, 
So the station itself launched back on May 14th, 1973 on the last Saturn V rocket. And in the immediate aftermath of that launch, it became apparent that something was really wrong with the station. One of the big thing, you know, one of the big parts of the, you know, at least the first part of the book is how astronauts, ground teams and contractors all worked together to come up with a fix. Can you talk a little bit about that part of the book? One of my favorite moments uh, deals with just that. And that is the moment where, you know, it's it's shortly before launch. I guess it's it's a few weeks before launch. A meeting is called. Okay, hypothetically. If something went wrong on the exterior of the uh, the workshop, what could we do about it? You know, what what's the contingency plan? What's the fix? And they sat down and they worked the issue. They looked at all the options, pushed through it, came back with the answer: nothing. There is nothing that can be done should that happen. If there's a problem on the outside of the workshop, you live with it if you can, and you don't if you can't. And that was an easy answer. When you're uh, when you're sitting there on the ground and you're about to launch the thing and, and you know, you have full confidence that your space station's going to launch and it's going to be perfect and it's going to work beautifully. And then it launches and it doesn't. It's it's it doesn't get up there beautifully. It's not working perfectly. You've lost the uh, the, the heat shield, the micrometeoroid shield. Um, neither of the solar arrays is is deploying. You know, initially, that's all they know is that the, the, the wings aren't deploying, don't know the condition. With um, with assets, they're able to uh, to determine that one of the wings gone completely. The other one is there but stuck. So now you are in exactly the situation that they've been discussing the meeting, right? They they met to talk about what do you do if something's wrong on the outside of the workshop. You now have a space station in orbit with something wrong on the outside of the workshop. Okay, we call the meeting back together again. We have the discussion again, and this time the answer is not. There's nothing you can do, right? This time you leave this meeting with, here's what you do. Exactly. And it's it's a beautiful throwing down of the gauntlet. You know, I mean, it's the Apollo 13 movie, you know, made famous the uh, the failure is not an option line, and that's a uh, to some a a rallying call and some an albatross that's that's hung around our necks ever since. But that meeting, that second meeting is just such a beautiful picture of what the good version of that looks like, you know, to, to refuse to accept. We can't do anything. We're, we're going to fix this. Well, and it wasn't just, you know, everybody working in the, in the Moker and the mission operations control room, it was contractors too. So, I mean, it was different NASA centers, different companies, heck, even from, you know, from what I read, just a local heart, you know, local hardware stores were enlisted in, you know, you know, buying parts or procuring certain items. And yeah, Owen Gary had said, and, and I really, I think he's right. He said, this is the greatest moment for NASA as an agency. You know, Apollo 13 gets remembered as NASA's finest moment. And for what it was there, you know, there's, there, there's, there's a good case to be made that that's true. But he said, it's such a, that's such a Johnson Space Center story. Like you say, that's that's such yeah. a, a mission control story. That's such a, a astronaut office story. Saving Skylab is such a NASA story. And I mean, and, and NASA writ large, the agency, like you say, the contractors, business, um, just everybody coming together. It's 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 that 
that same attitude, that same approach that you see, you know, the microcosm of an Apollo 13 just writ large through NASA as a whole. And yeah, and that's one of my favorite things, you know, growing up, I grew up with, a you know, reading a ton about the shuttle missions and a lot about early human spaceflight too. And Skylab kind of slipped through the cracks. And over the last year of doing a daily podcast, I got to read a lot. And Skylab was one of those missions that as I read more about it, it was like, this is, you know, this is the mission that shows the full spectrum of what NASA is capable of doing. And you know, I, I was on another show a couple of weeks ago where I was, you know, I said my favorite mission is Cassini and that's what I grew up with. But if, if I had to pick a second just for the sheer technical and human achievements, it would definitely be all of the Skylab missions. So, you know, it's it's underrated. And I think your book really helps bring light to an era of spaceflight that people don't really know that much about. Skylab to me becomes underrated because it was so successful. It, it's it's in my mind very much a victim of its own success. I, I initially wrote that off as, I, you know, it's coming after the moon landings, um, you know, which 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 were kind of sexy in their yeah. own way. You know, I mean, the moon landings not bad. You know, kind of captured the public attention um, when we started writing the book. Shuttle was was the current program, and so you know. It, Skylab is kind of sandwiched between, you know, possibly the most significant moments in human history on the one side and what people think of when they think of space, because it's it's what space was currently on the other side and that it's easy to get lost in between. And I think there is truth to that. But I think part of why Skylab gets overlooked is because we undervalue the lessons that we learn from Skylab because it's almost impossible to imagine that we ever didn't know them. Um, without Skylab, you know, without Skylab, you, you, you don't have the Hubble Space Telescope the way we do, because the idea that you can do meaningful work on a spacewalk is it, it, foreign, yeah. you know. And because you have Skylab, then you have Hubble. Because you have Hubble, then you have the International Space Station – International Space Station, oh gosh. I mean, like five years in, there had been more spacewalks supporting the International Space Station than there had been in all of spaceflight history before that. Well, of course you can do it. Yeah. Of course you can do that. Of course you can do that sort of work. Of course you can do assembly. But yeah, when they had that meeting prior to launch, no, the answer is there's nothing you can do because that solution wasn't considered a viable solution at that point. Well, you know, the, the NASA's experience with spacewalks up until Skylab wasn't exactly the greatest. <laughs> so <laughs> they were learning. Exactly. They were making progress. <laughs> they come all the way. Exactly. And that's the thing, you know, with Skylab, one of the, one of the things I really enjoyed about the book is reading the descriptions of those EVAs. And you can see, you know, you can see pictures, you can watch movies of EVAs today, but reading the descriptions, I think was more powerful than just, you know, sitting back and watching the live stream of an EVA done today. So that's one of the things that I really enjoyed uh, in the book. Thank you. Yeah, it was one of the neat moments in writing the book was um, sitting down and, and talking to Alan Bean. And, you know, and here's a guy who was on Skylab, but who also, you know, um, walked on the freaking moon. Um, <laughs> and 
and hearing him compare the two, I mean, hearing him contextualize, because we were well into the book, we've been, you know, I've been kind of living, working, breathing Skylab for a while, having him take this thing that I thought I knew and contextualizing it in literally this, you know, out of the world context, just sort of, oh, okay, you know, I mean, what's a spacewalk like? Well, okay, here's what it's like to do a spacewalk on another world, right? I mean, here is what a spacewalk is like if you are just imagine the world the way you experience it, but now you're doing a spacewalk, right? I mean, we're 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 walking on a body. Okay, now we are taking away everything you take for granted and you're doing that same thing but in nothing. And uh oh, okay. Well, you know, that's that's that, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, well, and and that was one of the things I wanted to talk about too is just the the process, the creative process of writing this book and being able to work with astronauts on such an important piece of, you know, there's there's oral history in this book, but there's also I mean, just incredible storytelling about these, you know, these first three long duration missions. Can can you talk a little bit about the process of creating the book? So um so one of my one of my faults, you know, and, and and the beginning of strength is to uh, to recognize and own your own fault. And um, <laughs> one of my faults as a human being is that I benefit greatly from accountability, right? I mean, you know, working as a uh, as a newspaper reporter, my best work was always done in in you know in the time right before deadline because now oh, yeah. there's accountability. Now there's something pushing down on me. Um, all the best work that I've ever done has been in, in partnership with somebody because I need that, that structure. And so it turns out that if you are that sort of person, and if your mind works that way, um, writing a book with astronauts is, is really a good way of, um, of, of, of addressing that shortcoming. Because now I have people that I'm accountable to who are, by the way, you know, American heroes. Um, It's it's one thing, oh, I let down my friend. I let down two NASA astronauts who were counting on me. You know, that that gets you working. That gets the blood pumping. Um, It was was an incredible experience. Um, Gosh, you know, first off, I, I, I have to say I cannot understate the contributions of, of Owen and Joe to the book, you know, I mean, frequently you see, um, a book like that and it's got, here's the name of a writer and here's the name of, you know, famous person, name mm-hmm. of famous person. And the assumption is with well, the writer was the one writing, you know, I mean, the, the, the famous person is there to, you know, share their stories and, and help sell the book. Um, these two guys, I mean, they, they, they put pen to paper. They worked hard on this thing. And there is it, one of the interesting challenges was blending those three voices together because there was so much of, of both of them in there. And, um, and then really the unsung hero is, is Ed Gibson, um, who uh, we we uh, you know Owen worked a lot on the, uh, the the second crew chapters his his portion of the story Joe worked a lot on the uh, the first crew chapter and his portion of the story was so we've got an astronaut from the first crew we've got an astronaut from the second crew we've got nobody from the third crew so we're gonna have to tell their story <laughs> ourselves um, 
And so, so we reach out to them, you know, Hey, we're working on this. Here's what we're doing. And, um, and then we even put together an initial draft, you know, here's a, this is, this is kind of what we're thinking. This is the way we're approaching this. Can you, can you help us with this? And they, um, they read over it and said, yeah, this is, this is great. This looks good. You, you kind of got it right. And, um, we were, you know, are, are you sure? You know, I mean, we, we don't, we don't feel like we did it justice, but you know, if you're happy, okay, we're, we're happy. And that stayed a little while until we sent them the next version that was a, uh, kind of a full early draft of the entire book. And, uh, and Ed came back <laughs> and, uh, you know, okay, you know, y'all are driving Ferraris and we're in a Volkswagen here, you know, this is, this is, this is not right. And, uh, and so Ed, um, partnered with, uh, with Jerry Carr and Bill Pogue, um, not only on their chapter, but, um, but also contributed a lot to the, uh, to the chapter about science on Skylab. You know, I mean, Ed is kind of the, yeah. I mean, literally wrote the book on heliophysics, um, you know, it, back in the early days of NASA. And so Owen and, and Joe, because they were co-authors from the beginning, you know, we are the co-authors of the book. Ed just kind of, you know, took almost co-author level of effort um, to help out and make sure that the, uh, the story was told properly um, to your, so to the, to the, what was it like? It was, it was being snuck into Olympus. Um, it was, you know, I'm, I'm in a meeting one day. I'm in a, in a meeting in a conference room. It's a room full of people and there are two of us, in the entire room who had never been to space. Um, and that, that's just kind of odd. I mean, it, it was kind of weird. And I mean, it, and it very much was, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm skulking on Mount Olympus. The doors that were opened in the process of writing this book um, were just incredible. I mean, it was, it was experiences that, that, um, you know, I mean, literally people will go to, you know, to, to space fests and pay, you know, hundreds or thousands of dollars yeah. to have, these experiences. Um, the thing that I'm finding now is that 10 years later, I didn't understand the effect that it had on me. You know, I mean, I'm just kind of now unpacking some of it. <laughs> and, um, so yeah, it's, it's a thing. If you ever get the chance, definitely take it. Um, if you ever find yourself in a situation where, um, you know, there, there's some astronauts that would like to, uh, to, to write a book with you. Definitely do it. Fingers crossed. Um, it was, <laughs> I, I, I had worked, um, I had worked, you know, at the, at the time I was working in NASA education. Um, it was the 30th anniversary of Skylab, which that's kind of surreal that I've been telling this story now for a third of the time that Skylab has been around. Um, yeah. But, um, but so the 30th anniversary of Skylab, I did some stories for NASA education and the process of doing that, talked to Owen, talked to Joe, um, talked to Jerry Carr for that. And in the process of doing the research, you know, encountered just what we were talking about a minute ago, that there's just not as much out there. You know, I mean, there's, there's not the resources for Skylab that there were for, uh, for Apollo and that there were for shuttle and, you know, kind of initially thought, you know, man, somebody should do something about that. Somebody should, uh, <laughs> somebody should write a book about this. And... Okay, done. Had that thought. Moved on. <laughs> Months <laughs> later, um, there's another big celebration for the 30th anniversary. The uh, the eight astronauts that were uh, that were still around at that time were all in Huntsville. 
Um, I went to that, got to, to talk with them some more, had that same thought, you know, man, this, 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 this story deserves to be told better. And kind of at that point had that flicker of, okay, what, if, but, but what if you did it? Um, and, and, you know, and immediately some portion of my brain pushes back. That's the sort of thing that professional <laughs> writers do, right? You know, I mean, that's, that's not the sort of thing that people like you do. That's the sort of thing that, that professional writers do. So fast forward another, you know, three months or so I'm in, um, Houston for the uh, for the Space Exploration Educators Conference. I go to Space Center Houston. They have an incredible Skylab exhibit. I'm walking through the uh, their Skylab exhibit, and uh, you know, and that thought comes up again. You know, hey, this story really needs to be told. Somebody really needs to tell this story, and and that that immediate protest comes in. You know. Yeah, but that's not you, right? You know, that's 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 professional writers, and, and I'm sitting there in Space Center Houston, and the thought comes to my mind that um. At that point in my life, every dime that I make comes from writing. I mean, that if you look up, yeah, <laughs> professional writer, that's that's kind of the definition. So I uh, <laughs> I hatch a brilliant plan. I'm going to uh, I'm going to go home. I'm going to go back to Huntsville. I'm going to look up Owen Garriott, and I'm going to say, Hey, I would be interested in talking to you about whether you'd be interested in writing a book. Let me buy you lunch, and let's talk about this. Because what's going on in my head is this. He's going to say no. I'm going to go to lunch <laughs> with him. I'm going to pitch this idea. He's going to say no. And I'm going to go home that night and I'm going to call my dad and say, hey, guess who I had lunch with today? And be able to tell the story of my lunch with a guy that lived in space for two months. And that's going to be a cool story for the rest of my life. Um <laughs> And so I go to lunch with Owen. Funny how it turned out. And yeah, I go to lunch with Owen and I pitch this idea and he says, well, you know, I've been thinking about doing a book. Hey, let's do it. And I'm just, I, uh, oh, um, see, that's not what you were supposed to say. Now I have to figure out how to write a book with an astronaut, you know, <laughs> and um, got incredibly fortunate. We had, um, we had actually initially um, talked about just doing Owen's uh, Owen's memoir, kind of telling his story of Skylab and of Shuttle. Um, Colin Burgess, author of uh, of numerous, numerous, I mean, gosh, Colin Burgess, author of probably you know a third of all written space history at this point, yeah. um, was the uh, is is the editor of the Outward Odyssey series for the University of Nebraska Press. Um, somehow he was working with Owen. He was working on his scientist astronauts book. He'd been talking to Owen for that in their conversation. Owen mentioned to Colin, you know, hey, um, this kid, David Hitt and I were, were thinking about um, maybe writing a book together. Um, Colin and I knew each other through the, the Collect Space website run by uh, Robert, Robert Perlman. And mm -hmm. uh, Colin was, oh, well, you know, hey, um, I'm the editor of this series. I just had the author of a Skylab book drop out. Would you be interested in, um, in making it a, a Skylab book instead of your memoir? If you do, um, you know, you'll have to write a proposal. We will help you write the proposal. Um, and when you get the proposal that we help you write to a point where we're happy with it, um, you know, we'll give you a contract and you can start working. And, and I, I've never written a book. Um, I know nothing about <laughs> finding an agent or getting a contract or, or pitching any of this. And so, hey, you know what? Um, this sounds like a really good plan. So let's do this. Um, which ended up being incredibly fortuitous. Um, for all three of us, our goal with homesteading was this story needs to be told. Yeah. It not only needs to be told, 
but this story needs to exist, right? I mean, this story needs when somebody on, you know, the, the 70th anniversary of Skylab is saying, hey, how did, how did they do this on Skylab? You know, how, how did this work on Skylab? There is a resource, you know, they, that person will have the resource that I didn't when I was doing my research. Um, and so we, 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 we kind of took the approach of, um, erring on the side of inclusion. Um, if, if we had tried to do this book with a, uh, with a mainstream publisher, they would have taken the first draft and said, um, this is great, you know, but we could sell so many more copies if this were, you know, half the length. And, and that's true. You know, I mean, yeah. without a doubt, we did not write this to, to be a bestseller, but we were way more concerned with how much of this story still exists in 50 years than in how many sto- copies we're selling this year. And so incredibly fortunate to, uh, to work with a publisher that indulged us um, taking that approach with it. Well, and as someone who has a lot of the books in that series, I, I think they are, like you said, they're important long-term contributions. It's not something that, you know, if somebody reads, you know, the hunger games or, you know, a, you know, a popular science fiction novel now get nowadays or like Harry Potter, it's not necessarily going to be picked up by somebody like that, but as a monument to a program, I think it will definitely stand the test of time. So I, I really think you guys did you know, yeoman's work as it were on a very important part of space history. So. Well, thank you. Thank you. Let's switch gears a little bit. You know, there's the three, the three missions to Skylab. What is your favorite part of any of those missions? It could be, you know, a science instrument like we were talking about helio heliophysics earlier. Um, it could be the EVAs. What, what's your favorite part of Skylab? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I know you, I'm asking you to pick like your favorite child here. So, <laughs> well, no, here's here's where I'm about to out myself as a huge hypocrite. Um, but uh, but that's okay um, because Skylab. It, it it irks me a little that to me Skylab is treated unfairly that um, that it's remembered for one of two things and and now there's a third but at the time we started working on the book um, if somebody's talking about Skylab they are either talking about the problems that it had during launch mm-hmm. or they're talking about the fiery end of Skylab um, now you know another fifteen years later with most of this discussion taking place on, um, on social media, um, it's, 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 it's still the end of Skylab and it's anytime any object is potentially, um, <laughs> about to fall from space, you know, Twitter, Twitter's a buzz with, Oh, this is just like Skylab, man. I remember Skylab. <laughs> I remember my Skylab helmet. And, and it's just, there's so much more to Skylab, you know, but between those two points and, and now, as you alluded to earlier, um, the mutiny, I mean, yeah. gosh, you know, the, the mutinies, the, twi- the Twitters love the, uh, the myth of the mutiny. <laughs> um, it's, 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 it's a program that changes spaceflight forever. I mean, the foundation of everything that has happened in the last 45 years is is right there. I mean, every anything you want to know about forty five years of spaceflight history is there in those, you know, few months in in seventy three and seventy four. And so, 
you know, my favorite part about Skylab, man, here, here is how it has made a difference. That is the foundation. I mean, when we go to Mars, we're going to Mars on the back of yeah. Skylab. That said, if somebody says, tell me a story about Skylab, <laughs> I'm going to tell a story like the, um, like the rescue mission. Um, you know, just, just in terms of a pure, you know, just fun narrative and not even the, uh, not, not the, uh, the Skylab one rescuing, uh, this, this station, but, um, but Skylab two, right. And so, um, Owen and Alan Bain and Jack Lausma are in their, uh, their Apollo capsule. They're, uh, they're closing in on Skylab. Jack looks out the window and, um, says, Hey guys, I, um, I think I saw one of our engine thrusters float yeah. by. And that's, that's not a thing you want to hear. You know, I mean, no. like that's, that's bad, <laughs> right? That's off nominal. Um, so they, they start looking into it and, and figure out that, that no, the, uh, the, the structure of the engine is still there. Um, but that means nothing because the reality of the situation is just as bad as if the engine had come off. There's a there's a leak in one of the quad thrusters that's responsible for the orientation of the vehicle and, and the maneuvering. Um, so even though the structure is still there because it's leaking, you got to shut it down. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, that, that's fine. We can we can still fly it with just three of the uh, the, the the four quad thruster sets. Um, it just it becomes a little more complicated because any <laughs> you can compensate for the lack of the one set of thrusters, but anything you do to compensate is going to create its new effect that you then have to compensate for again. Alan Bean's flying; he's he's confident. I've got this. They're coming up on Skylab. Um, Owen sitting in the center seat. At this point, there is no range rate computer. There's no view screen that's telling you how close you're you're, you're closing in on this thing. Um, he's having to, to kind of measure the distance and sit there with his calculator and, and calculate their speed and how quickly they're closing. And uh, and and turns to Al, you know, we're, we're coming in too fast. Bean says, you know, no, we've got this. I've, I'm 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 confident. You know, we're, we're doing right. And uh, Owen just says nothing for a second, and he's sitting there, and he's got his calculator, and he's looking at the range, and he's calculating, or we're coming in too fast. And um, being again, you know, no, I've, I've got this. And, uh, and Owen's sitting there, he's in the, you know, he's in this center seat, he's calculating. Um, he finally gets out of his seat, <laughs> and he goes down to the little storage area under the chairs. And... <laughs> And at that point, Bean says, well, you know, I've never seen him do that before. Um, maybe I should take this seriously. <laughs> so he uh, so he slows down um, and, you know, and they manage to, uh, to to dock with Skylab. I didn't realize until substantially later, like I'm not even sure if this is if this is if I had learned this while we were still writing Homesteading or if this was a thing I learned after. Um, they were never in any danger of of hitting the space station. Like I'm, I'm hearing this story, and what I'm picturing is like we're going to ram into Skylab. Yeah. I mean, we're going to crash into the space station. No, no. The danger was they might overshoot and have to backtrack. And to, to, to an astronaut, particularly that's to a pilot bad. astronaut, that's a fate as bad as death. Yeah. I mean, having having to you know take two would be as bad as crashing into the station. So they. Um, they, they dock with Skylab and they're on Skylab and they start their mission. And um, a little bit later, one of them's looking out the window, sees that it's snowing. <laughs> well, 
Um, That's not supposed to happen. Don't usually have a lot of weather. Yeah, right. It doesn't work that way, right? You don't look out your window and see weather <laughs> when you're uh, when you're on the space station. Um, so this is not snow. Um, they have another leak in one of the other quad thrusters. So, okay, what do we do? And so it comes down to two possibilities. Either determine that they can fly home safely, um, that their vehicle will um, – We'll get them home even with half of the maneuvering thrusters out, um, or somebody's going to have to go up and rescue them. So two of the astronauts from the uh, from the backup crew, um, Vance Brand and Don Lind, um, begin working the question of, first, can we rescue them? Is it possible to, uh, to fly a rescue mission? Because a... Apollo command module designed for three astronauts. There are three astronauts currently on Skylab. So that means to bring them home, you have to somehow fly an Apollo command module with enough extra space to fit an entire crew, right? I mean, you, you basically I almost have to, to double the capability. And so, okay, well, first, we're not going to fly an entire crew. We're only going to fly two astronauts on the, uh, on the, the rescue mission up. We have to put three seats, three additional seats into the command module. Um, so we're going to do that by taking out the uh, the storage area underneath the seats and put a second row of seats underneath the, the main seats. It's a little cramped, but that's okay. Um, somebody pointed out that um, the Apollo command module is designed to uh, to land on water. Mm-hmm. And, um, and really, that's, that's a fairly safe bet. 75% of the Earth's surface is water. So, you know, odds are that's where you're going to end up. Um, however, they were designed for the contingency. What if you have to land on land? And the answer is, if you had had, it to, la- if you had, had to land on land, um, it's going to be a much harder impact. So the seats were designed essentially with shock absorbers. They would, they would stroke. They would, the, the struts would kind of collapse. So they would sink in a little bit to absorb the... Uh, not good if you're under there. Right. Yeah. You really don't want to be sitting under one when that happens. And um, <laughs> so this is another one where they work through, okay, well, what can we do about that? And uh, the answer was, you know, pray you don't land <laughs> on the land. <laughs> We're going to play the odds. Um, so they work through this and they determined that, yes, we can safely um, fly this mission. And so Vance and Don had been spent, you know, hours and hours and hours and hours and hours in the simulator working this and refining it and, and working to come to this conclusion. Okay, congratulations. You have proved that um, that you can fly this rescue mission. We've got some time left. Um, now let's run it the other way. Now let's run it. Can you fly in a, a Apollo command module home with only two of the four quad thrusters? They put them back on the, uh, the simulator. And this is arguably one of the single single cruelest moments in in NASA's history because here are these two guys it is it is they, they have been waiting now for um you know i mean gosh uh, in in Vance's case um what like 8 years or something for a space flight um you know through countless hard hours in the simulator they have earned the right to fly this rescue mission Okay, guys, get back in the simulator, work even longer hours, even harder tasks to prove that we don't need you to fly. Um, they get back in the simulator and they work themselves out of a space flight. Don Lind ended up waiting 19 
years. He was an astronaut for 19 years before he ever got to go into space. And he was that close. He was that close to getting to fly the rescue mission. And beautifully, I mean, you know, yes, sir. Prove that he didn't have to fly it, and uh, one, one one of my favorite little peeks into the uh, to the, the the astronaut mindset. Working on the book, um, talked to both of them, to, to Vance and Don, talked to them each individually. Um, asked both of them, you know, what was that like? That, that had to be, you know, this roller coaster of emotion. Yeah, were you disappointed at the uh, at the way it came out? And and both of them. <laughs> Both of them said, well, you know, I understood that that's what we needed to do. I was glad to do it. I think the other guy was a little disappointed. And, you know, I can understand that. But, you know, that's – gosh, if there were ever a uh, – if there were ever a Skylab movie, you know, that's that that would be one of the parts that uh, would kind of have to be in it. Yeah, they they did their job too well. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, I mean, talk about the right stuff. Exactly. Well, and you know, that's just that's one of the many stories in this book that really if if you haven't read this book yet, you know, I'll I'll be linking to it in the show notes. It's definitely worth, you know, buy it on Amazon, give it a read. It is just truly fantastic. Uh, to, to, you know, even if you're just going to pick a chapter at a time, it is worth picking up and reading. Um, I want to end with something and it's a quote that really stuck with me, um, about midway through the book. And it's something that Alan Bean kept posted inside his locker. And it's, it's kind of a theme or a concept that we've touched on a little bit here today. So I think it's a fitting way to end today's episode. And I think it sums up what NASA strives to do with all of their missions, whether it's a robotic mission or a human mission. Quote, a man is what he thinks about all day. The only time I live, the only time I can do anything, the only time I can be anyone is right now. Each hour we have in flight is the culmination of approximately 12 to 13 pre-flight hours. These hours well spent are our only tangible product for literally years of work and preparation. Our doubts are traitors and make us lose the good we oft might win by fearing to attempt. And, you know, I think you fearing to attempt the book, I'm, I'm glad you went through with it because it's one of those things that <laughs> we, we, we're all really happy that we have this resource. And we're, we're, I think a lot of us are thankful that you went through with this book. Um it's it's one of those resources that I truly can't recommend highly enough. So, David, thank you for coming on the podcast. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Hey, everyone. One last thing before we go today. If you enjoy the space shot, leave a five-star review on iTunes. Reviews help more people find the show, which helps us reach even more listeners around the world. Thanks for listening and taking the time to leave a quick review. Until next time, I'm John Mulnix, and I'll catch you on the flip side.